Paula Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. If you've been listening to Clockworks, you know that we've been very struck by the music throughout Legion. We've talked about the song choices at the end of every episode, but we haven't talked much about the score. We've been planning to talk about the score throughout this, the series at the end, and we have, uh, we're very delighted to have with us someone who can offer a unique insight and perspective on the score. Jeff Russo wrote the original music for Legion, and we are absolutely delighted to have you here with us. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me in cyberspace. <laughs> <laughs> so first, I mean, my first question is uh, generally, do you watch a TV show that you're involved in making? And specifically Legion, but in general, do you, having made the show, do you then watch it? Uh, it well, so the answer to that question is resounding yes. And it's interesting because... Um, I I have an interesting or perspective and, and perception, uh, speaking of, of Legion, but I, I, I have a very interesting perspective on it because when I get episodes to write to, um, none of the VFX are done. So I don't, I don't really get to see finished versions, not even at the mix. When we go to mix, like usually the VFX aren't even done. So I, I, watch, I watch on the air for a number of reasons, not the least of which is I've never seen what it actually ends up looking like. I'm sure um, on the air. Yeah, I'm sure. So, yeah, like answers, and and it, aside from all that, I love the show. I actually yeah. really, really, really love the show. So it's um, it's uh, it's a treat for me to to sit and watch. And then, of course, if I'm watching with my wife or I'm watching with friends or whatever, they're all like, "Wait a second. Is David crazy? It's like, do you really want me to tell you the answer to this question? Because if I can give it all away if you'd like. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, how does it work writing the music for a series? And that it, by that, I mean, at what point are you coming in? Are you, you know? You know, okay, so the phone call that I ran out <laughs> was Noah Hawley and he's the um, he's the filmmaker he's the creator Sven Gali this you know like so we I think I might be one of the people he interacts with earliest Um, we start talking about what the music is going to be and what he's thinking of tonally and then I start writing music right away like based on a conversation Um, based on like I for Legion we had our first conversations in, I think, in like the summer of 2015. And uh, he sent me the first, he might have sent me the first script, like sometime in the fall. But I had started writing music right away. And because, well, not, first of all, because it was music that I knew I was going to love writing because I, I, you know, grew up listening to Pink Floyd. I grew up listening to, 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 um, Pendereski, like all, all kinds of weird stuff that I knew I was going to do. Cause we talked about, you know, Pink Floyd sort of being uh, a, a sound touchstone for the show in terms of, you know, how I go about writing, uh, writing the material. And we also sort of talked about how we thought dark side of the moon was sort of like the seventies schizophrenic manifesto. You know, it was like the, it was the schizophrenics manifesto, basically. Right. Yeah. So why not? Why not take what that was and see how I could, um, you know, use that 
in, in a tonal way um, in, in the show. So the very first thing I did was go and buy an EMS synthy, which was the, the synth, one of the main synthesizers that, that Dave Gilmore used on, um, on, the, on that album. And uh, I, I plugged it in, and I remember like, starting to program it, and it did this thing, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's the synth, that's the, synth, that's the thing. Um, so sort of trying to weave that into the, into the score was a really, a really interesting thing for me when it comes to the music for this particular show i i'm 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 really i'm so excited i get so excited and on the topic of pink floyd like definitely specifically on the run uh seems like a musical touchstone that comes up throughout your score it's interesting so on the run i i didn't just rip off pink floyd and 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 i i say that I say that with all love and respect for that band because they are my favorite band ever. And I grew up lo- loving Pink Floyd. So that's to say when Noah first sat down and we talked about it and he was like, what do you think of, what do you, you know, what were your, what are your thoughts on, on Dark Side of the Moon? I was like, you're kidding, right? Like Pink Floyd is my favorite band of all time. Dave Gilmore is the reason why I started playing guitar. Um, and uh, so On the Run consists of this, ostinato played by a by a um a synthesizer and then it gets faster and slower so with that i sort of used that idea and applied it to some melodic ideas that i had for david and um you know which was this repeating synth line that then gets also played by an orchestra and then also gets played by a flute and also gets played by all different kinds of things so the idea of that repeating ostinato comes back the whole season, yes. And in that, On the Run was the the sort of genesis of that idea. You know, right. it's it's that sound, it's that synth. And, and the, the looping uh, that comes up in David and it comes up in 127 hours and it comes up in uh, seeing things, hearing things too, the, the loop that gets... It comes up everywhere, faster and slower and louder and changing, as you said, the instrumentation... That's for me listening to the score. That was the most, uh, the easiest touchstone with Dark Side of the Moon for me to recognize. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would say that that's the big that and the fact that there are these sort of very weird sounds that you would just are not necessarily musical that are just sort of sound effects, and they used a lot of that stuff on those records as well. Um, so with that like that coupled with this more sort of warm orchestra feel it was sort of like that was the original sort of idea that i could infuse all of this into a score right on the topic of the kind of process of how it works to write the music for a series like this how closely do you work with the music supervisor maggie phillips Okay, so Maggie and I have become really, really close friends over the last um, two and a half years since she got brought on to Fargo season two. Um, we, I would say that there are moments where we work really closely and then moments where, where we are doing our own thing very separately. Like when I'm sitting and writing, you know, I, I will send her pieces of music to get her feedback or input. Like, what do you think of this for this? What do you think of this for that? And, and her, um, her taste in music is, impeccable so when she says well you know i don't know is that really work you know i I take it very seriously and occasionally we have to work together in terms of i either have to figure out how to make score work 
going into or coming out of a song right. or vice versa. You know, there's this, this piece of music that I've written that Noah really wants to use here, but we want a song to go right after it. We sort of have to figure out, well, what song will really work? Right. Um, and that way we're, we're definitely having a, a, a conversation back and forth about what the music is doing. And then, you know, there's also talks of music budgets and all that kind of boring stuff that we <laughs> yeah. really want to talk about. As you're working on a show like like Legion or like anything, how important is it to you that you understand and convey characters and plots or the specifics of the specific scene that you're scoring? Especially, like, as you said, you start working on it very, very early. So how can you, how do you, how important is it that the specific scene is conveyed in the music? I think it really depends on the scene. You know, um, I start writing from a character perspective. Um, you know, I, I think about characters and what they hear in their heads and what they might sound like or how I might represent them musically. And it isn't until there's a really full-fledged storyline going on that it becomes more important in how and where to use music. Right. Um, you know, the idea of writing thematic material that I then come back to for, you know, a lot in, in a series is a very cinematic approach. I, and I take that approach with the music that I write for any show, or I'd like to think that I do. Um, and it's, it, it helps tell a story over a long period of time. So I don't look at series like 10 individual episodes. I look at it like one 10 hour long movie or, or in Legion's season one, an eight hour long movie. Um, and I think it's really important to flesh out what the sound of a show is and what the sound of each character is. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the flute represents Sid and the synth represent. It doesn't have to be so specific, um, although, although it can be that specific. I, I feel like in general, having a very broad approach to music for, for a project is really, really important because that helps keep the whole story cohesive. Uh, speaking of the specific mm. instrumentation for a specific mm. character, though, can you talk at all about the uh, horn motif for the devil with the yellow eyes? You know, it's funny. Um, I ended up recording and writing a bunch of orchestral effects for very dramatic use and, and, purposes, and, and purposes. So, And with that, I hand it over to my music editor, who will then put it in places and like, well, what do you think of it here? What do you think of it here? What do you think of it here? And then when we saw it with the devil, with the yellow eyes, who ends up being obviously the shadow king. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> all of us were like, Oh, that's it. Like that's, that's the thing. That's the sound like that weird sort of horn blast. And once I figured that out, then I went back and recorded like 20 different versions right. of that. So whenever I saw him, I could figure out which one would work best. It's a very disconcerting uh, sound, for sure. Very disconcerting character. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The thing, you know, a lot of the a lot of the score was meant to keep the the audience off balance. Yeah, yeah. You know, the idea was if our main character doesn't know the difference between what's real and what is real, why not invite the viewer to also be in the same predicament? Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't know what's real. Why is it? Why wouldn't it be okay for whoever's watching also to not know the difference between what's real and what's hallucination? Absolutely, and that's the thing. I've read some other interviews with you where you talked about uh, the music transitioning from real to imaginary. Mm. Can you talk a bit about what you mean by that? 
Well, what I meant was what I meant was transitioning from the organic to the inorganic or what you feel is real to what you don't know if it's real or not. And really the synthetic part of the score, the synthesized part of the score really did more represent the unreal world, even though what we come to know is the things that weren't real were actually not real anyway. They were all imagined yeah. in his brain, right? So it, it, there was never a, there was never a time where reality wasn't reality, right? If it makes any sense. <laughs> so I had to try to figure out like how to manage these themes to feel like so you're real in his head or you're not real in his head. But if you're outside, then can I misdirect or can I not miss? Should I not be misdirecting? But a lot of that was synthesized. The synthesized version of it was sort of like David's hallucinations, and the more organic stuff was the um, was the more real stuff. And normally, that had more to do with Sid and his relationship with Sid. Right. So your um, the physical instruments are representing whether they're representing what's real in the show. They're representing what for you is musically real. Is that? Uh... Well, I mean, it was really just about that was a narrative device, right. really. And it was meant to sort of just be the thing that signified one or the other. The idea for me also was never to have it be the same way twice. Right, right. So, so as to not let the viewer know, well, okay, I'm hearing that piece of music. Right. This must be. Yeah. Idea was you're never supposed to know. So I never played the same thing in the same way more than once. Right. It got very confusing. For me, I, <laughs> I believe it. So the repeated uh, motif of the looped run of notes, right? It's We talked a bit ago about how it's reminiscent of Pink Floyd, but the other thing about it is it's very mechanical. And mm -hmm. I think specifically of Chaos and Madness and 127 Hours, which both end with the music box, especially 127 Hours ends with the music box running out of uh, juice or whatever. Um, can you talk about the mechanical element of the music? Mm -hmm. It's funny, it's like, I read, at Noah's request, I read an Oliver Sacks book called Hallucinations. And, you know, one of the things he, he talks about, like, what a hallucination might sound like, or, or what kinds of things happen to sound in the brain, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that was just sort of my take on that, like, a, a music box that sounds beautiful and sounds lovely and then gets warped and falls apart. Right. Mm -hmm. And it felt like that was how David felt. Um, so the music box really signified David's memory of himself as a child, which mm -hmm. at moments, and if you, there, there's a, there's a track called young David, which starts out very, with this very lovely, beautiful sound. Um, but if you, if you extrapolate now, I'm getting really crazy, like, like maybe even too nitpicky, picky oh, party. We're nitpicky. <laughs> If you extrapolate Young David to Chaos and Madness or Young David to 172 hours, 74 hours, what you realize is they share a harmonic, um, they share a harmonic structure. And there's that beauty part of Young David, which is him and his memory of his mother. Um, and then as you get into Chaos and Madness, which is sort of the other side of that coin, 
you you hear those same melodies deconstructed um and then not only do they deconstruct but then they start to warp and as they start to warp that's his whole thing changing so the it, it wasn't really about a mechanical versus a non-mechanical it was about how do i get to that sound right. and that seemed that that seemed the path of least resistance like what's a mechanical thing that makes music and how can I warp that and break it down you know so it's like basically putting your finger on a record player right. and slowing it down and then it, imagine if you were to push down really hard and then the record would break and then you'd hear the cracking of the record breaking it's sort of that idea but that's not the idea wasn't necessarily the mechanics of it the idea was how do I get that sound and a mechanical thing <laughs> in this case the music box was the easiest way so you talked just a second ago. You talked about uh, Oliver Sacks' hallucinations. Um, I actually read the uh, auditory Man, hallucinations for a hat. Or... Uh, no, I read the auditory hallucinations chapter of that book. Um, yeah. So and there you go. Sacks talks about. I mean, there's a couple of things that really stuck out uh, to me. One of them is Sacks talks about a patient uh, with tinnitus who she describes as sounding like cicadas in her ears. And when I read that, I immediately thought of the uh, crickets, the choir crickets. Um, oh, it's that's funny that you say that. And I, I, I remembered, I, I remember um, when I, when I went to write that piece of music, um, thinking, yeah. First of all, the thing I needed to do was figure out what was the sound in her headphones because right. it, it was. The, it was that that was supposed to put her to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and there were there was the sound of crickets in the production audio because they were recording somewhere where there were crickets. Right. So I ended up sampling the crickets and then putting the crickets. So like it's it's a um, it sounds like crickets. It sounds like crickets. And if you really pay attention, all of a sudden the crickets become in tempo. Right. And. As, as the crickets play in tempo, that's when the sort of peace begins and the choir starts to sing. Um, and it was just one of those things where I remembered hearing cricket. That, and the same thing has happened to me. I remember falling asleep and hearing crickets and then hearing the crickets slowly become in time and then falling asleep. And then all of a sudden I woke up and it was over. Um, and that was the thing that sort of led me to the putting the crickets in time and then having the sounds of the voices over it. And I thought it was the quickest way to get her to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that I have to say, uh, the score throughout is evocative and, uh, compelling and uh, psychedelic and all kinds of good things. But that particular track, uh, is just beautiful. Yeah. I, it was very, very beautiful. <laughs> very much. <laughs> um, on, still on uh, Oliver Sacks' hallucinations, though, the other thing that he talks about in that chapter is a tendency for hallucinations, for the uh, auditory hallucination to suddenly stop or suddenly change. And this is another thing I really noticed throughout the score. There's a lot of uh, times that the song will will suddenly end rather than coming to kind of a uh, what feels like the expected ending. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, we... We tend to do that as dramatic as a dramatic effect, more, more the stop than this than the dramatic shift. The dramatic shift, you know, definitely has has its roots in what you're talking about. Um, but uh, 
but those but those sudden stops are usually for narrative reasons, right. and they can be very effective. I think and I tend I tend to do that um, not just in Legion. I've done that in, in Fargo before as well, and you know. I, I somehow end up talking about both those same shows, uh, both those shows in the, in the same sentence because they, they have absolutely nothing to do with the, with each other it, it, from a style perspective or from, from any, but, but from a, but, but from a process perspective, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can approach things from the same, from the same way. That's why I end up talking about both those shows in the same sentence. The, the dramatic, the example of a song suddenly ending uh, in a dramatic sense, the most obvious example that, that comes to mind in Legion is the, um, what you've called the uh, Folero, your uh, <laughs> arrangement of Bolero that yeah. suddenly ends and very, I mean, and really has that dramatic effect. Um, which brings me to the question about that song that you called it Folero. What did you change from Ravel, and why was it important to change? Okay, so this is this is what happened, and this was by this was literally was all a happy, happy, happy accident. Um, I was having a conversation with Noah, and you know, he said we were trying to figure out what episode seven. This whole there's this whole sequence in episode seven, you know, when Oliver starts um, to to conduct in that whole sequence, and originally he he had wanted to just use Bolero, you know, like right. let's use Bolero. It's very effective and it's a beautiful piece of music. We're like, this is great. Yeah. Um, and because it was in this sort of dream state, he wanted to go back and forth between um, score and Bolero, right? So it would be some sort of score and some sort of Bolero, and, you know, and I had said, well, why wouldn't we just do like a, uh, altered version of bolero like an electronic alt version of bolero that so you play bolero when you're in the one hand and then when you see her when you see um when when you see well when you see the shadow king um you switch to score you know you switch to the electronic version of it and then you switch back and then you switch back and that was the original idea Mm. um so what did i change there wasn't really much to change. You know, there's da 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 that you don't change that. So there, there's a harmonic change where I changed it from being a, a major harmonic to a minor harmonic, which instantly makes it sound a little off and darker. But what I didn't know they were going to do, and I think that this literally happened by accident, is they they played the the LSO's version and my version at the same time and they both happen to line up from a tempo perspective because the fact is i i didn't take anything from the from that recording i just was like okay so here's the tempo let's do this and just put it together the fact that they played together was was accidental and then it just happened and i called our version Folero, and obviously that's Bolero. So, but when you put it together, you know, I just figured we'd call it Folero Bolero. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, all that was sort of it, sort of happily accidental. We talked to uh, Denny Gordon a while ago, uh, who directed that episode, episode seven, and she said that the silent film element of that section was only decided after it had all been filmed. Uh, yeah. So the music ends up being even more 
front crucial yeah. to that scene. I think that's where the accident happened. Like once, um, once they started editing it, and then Noah called me. He was like, "Okay, so it's a silent film now. So it's all <laughs> going to be music. There's no dialogue. There's no air. There's no nothing." And I was like, "Great." <laughs> um, so. Then he said, but I want you to come down and screen this. And they did. And they played it at the same time. And it was just like, oh, this is brilliant. This works in a way that it was never meant to work. And it, and yet we meant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, very effective, yeah. but certainly. Um, me talk, you talked a couple of times about harmonic changes. And that reminds me of something that I've also... Uh, Noticed, but I've also heard you say in other interviews about the use of atonality in uh, this for this uh, series specifically. Can you talk a bit about the use of atonality in Legion? Well, yeah, you know, like some of so I, I put I put together a string quartet and did a bunch of music with a string quartet that was atonal, um, and part of that was you know my version of trying to do crazy music, right? You know, like. I, I start what I would what I would try to do is I'd write a piece of I'd write one line and then I'd write another line in reverse and then I'd write another line in reverse of that and um and I just sort of put them all together to see how that would work and then sometimes it worked really well and sometimes it didn't and those people never hear um the, the ones that the ones that it worked out really nicely on were these ones like when he first walks into clockworks and you hear this sort of like that was my idea of what does it sound like musically to walk into you know, a fake asylum, you know, an asylum that you don't know whether or not it's real or not, because at the beginning you think it's real, but is it? Yeah. I mean, one of the things throughout the show that we've noticed is that the setting is very disorienting in time, in space. I mean, how does the music contribute to the disorienting setting? I, I think that that was part of the idea as well. It's like, you know, one of the things that I wanted to try to do was keep the listener and viewer off balance. Right. Never, and never have an expectation. Um, what are your feelings about listening to a soundtrack of Legion or any soundtrack uh, independent of the show? I mean, the soundtrack, you can uh, buy it on iTunes and we'll have a link to it on the show notes. But um, is it an independent standalone piece of art or is the whole thing, music, visuals, narrative, all a piece together? It's both. It's both. Um, the the great the thing I said um, the thing I said to I don't remember where I said this. I said this to an old friend. I sent him the album. Um, oh, I remember. I, I I sent it. I sent the album to somebody who I was in a band with in high school. Right. And I said, take a listen to this. I think I've finally been allowed to make the album that I've always wanted to make, hmm. which is you know this sort of trippy psychedelic thing. I wrote a lot of the pieces um, as standalone pieces of music for this story. So part of it is like, imagine a rock opera with no vocals, right? right. The vocals for the rock opera is the dialogue of the show. Um, so I, I really do think that the music in the album is listenable from top to bottom and it really tells a story. And I tried to form the, I tried to form the volume one of the soundtrack that way. We're going to release a volume two that is, well, first we're, we're going to release a, a, a special edition vinyl four disc set, which, wow. 
which is um, which will where I, I've taken two pieces of music off and I'm putting two other pieces of music on the the vinyl album. One of which is Falero, um, because it didn't end up on volume one because we didn't want to give it away. Right. Um, Meaning, like, we wanted the first time you heard that to be right. when you watched episode seven. Um, and uh, th- there's also another piece of music, which is the opening of episode eight, which is this big harpsichord piece of music that I wrote. Um, I also didn't put that on the soundtrack as well because I didn't want to give away the opening of the finale episode, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing a volume two that will, a, a volume two CD and digital release that will have Falero and. Um, and the uh, and the harpsichord piece and some other pieces, um, but the vinyl record will have both of those as well. Right. well and, and to me, it's definitely like smoke some weed and <laughs> and uh, listen to the record like you would have Dark Side of the Moon or or whatever, or have a glass of wine. <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a it's sort of a part. It's a part of the. It, it's an experience watching the whole or listening to the whole thing might be sort of like an oral experience. You might want to put some headphones on and, yeah. and is that, I mean, is Legion, you said a second ago that it was your chance to write the album you've always wanted. Is Legion unique in that? Or is that the way you approach soundtracks in general? I, I think that again, it all depends on the, on the program in material, you know, in, in the case of Legion, I approached it like I was writing music for and trying to tell a story with music. Um, and, you know, that way I was writing, reading script because I wasn't really seeing picture until we were about halfway done shooting. Um, so I wrote a lot of the material while reading the first five scripts Um not knowing what episodes it, I I had never known what episodes seven and eight were. I I have an idea as to what all three um, the first three seasons will be. Um, there is a story arc that I'm aware of, right. and that has informed what I'm writing in the music and what will inform what I start to write for season two. Um, but it it is sort of created as music, you know, and that's sort of the interesting part of writing. Um, for for this particular show because I got to sort of figure out what the character sounded like and then apply it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I'm looking at the time. I'd love to talk to you as long as you would talk to us, but I think that uh, we should let you go. I want to just, before I we wrap up, um, where can people look forward to uh, hearing from you next? Where should people look next to hear your work? Well, so Fargo season three is on the air right now, and I'm I'm working on it continuously. Um, and then I will start Legion season two sometime over the summer. Um, and I am doing a couple of other things. I have a I I just finishing up a movie right now called Lizzie, which is the Lizzie Borden story okay. starring Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart. Um, so there's that. Uh, couple of other things that I can't really talk about because <laughs> yeah, really, they say don't talk about it until it becomes a reality. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank it has so been much. delightful to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I hope to talk to you guys again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was our interview with Jeff Russo. What did you think of that?
he was a really uh, nice guy. It was really uh, fun to have an interview with him. I didn't speak very much because <laughs> I was super nervous. And our original, in our original plan, we had some uh, scheduling issues. And so originally it was only going to be Paul talking to him. And then I was able to be there for the actual interview. But I didn't have any of the questions in front of me. And so I just kind of sat there and uh huh and was like Smiled super overwhelmed. But that was awesome. And I was also up, like kind of listening through again to edit. I was obviously nervous. So like we both <laughs> laugh a little bit too hard. And, like he'll say something a little funny and we're both like, ah, you know? <laughs> <Please let us. laughs> But yeah, it was a great interview. He's uh Really insightful. Yeah. yeah. So interesting to talk to. We um and we really appreciate him uh giving us the time. He's mm. obviously a very busy guy. In fact, we caught we yeah. had the interview scheduled. Uh we connected on Skype and like as the Skype picked up, his phone rang and he went away and it was Noah Hawley on the phone, the you know, showrunner of yeah. Legion that he went away and talked to for however long he talked to, and then came back. And it was obviously a busy guy. We really appreciate him spending some time with us. Absolutely, yeah. fantastic. He, he's uh, obviously also like a quick mind, thinking about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, in the interview is I kept asking, he kept answering questions that I hadn't asked yet. Like I'd ask one question, and in his answer, he'd answer, you know, the two or three other down. questions yeah. I had down to ask. I was... Uh, <laughs> made made me jumping all around my list so I wasn't following any order but it also is like obviously he's also he's thought about all this stuff and how it all connects to each other yeah. and what it all means to him and mm. yeah I hadn't really thought how about how deeply a, pers- a score person would be involved that early on yeah. in the show I, I assumed that he would kind of come in after it was made and like score over top of things but of course no it was he's there right from the start so that's really cool it's new information for me it's a question we didn't ask but i'd be curious to know whether how typical that is because yeah. he said noah he's one of the earliest people he thinks that noah talks to and i wonder is that noah holly was a musician is a musician as well as being a writer as well as being a film writer and novelist he's a Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, I wonder whether that's usual for all shows or whether that's a Noah Hawley idiosyncrasy to have yeah, involved well, so early. The only thing I'm really aware of is I, I've watched a lot about, I'm a huge Buffy nerd, and so I've watched some uh, behind-the-scenes thing on Buffy and with Christoph Beck, who of course is amazing and has gone on to amazing things. Uh, mm-hmm. it felt like he was kind of watching the show and scoring over top. And so that's kind of what I thought it was, but maybe I was just wrong in my interpretation. I don't really know much. And I feel like it takes a long time to score music because I'm yeah. not, a, I'm not a musician at all. And so I feel like it would take a long time to come up with like original music all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if it's your job, I guess that isn't, you know. Well, I mean, it clearly, it takes time to yeah, it, create it does something take time. new yeah. and to perfect it. Yeah. Right. And clearly, uh, Jeff Russo is a, I don't know if he's clearly a perfectionist, but clearly he's um, putting a lot of thought into every detail of the music. Mm -hmm, Absolutely, which I love. And you you can see it, you can tell when you watch the show that Legion is well done. And we've been watching uh, Fargo lately because so many Legion people are involved in Fargo, and he does the score for that, and it's very different, but also very compelling and very good. And suddenly I'm listening for it or watching and going, oh, that's Jeff Russo. He wrote that song and it's really good. Yeah, and it's 
like we didn't we hadn't watched Fargo and even if we had this was an interview about Legion but uh it's so interesting that he also wrote the music for Fargo which is so different Mm -hmm. and yet I think there's aspects that once you know it's the same person writing it you can see it yeah you can kind of see it yeah absolutely anyway um one of the things one of that came out of this interview is he's I uh, is I need to make a correction to our mm, uh, yes. music I talked about in episode eight. I misidentified something at the beginning of episode eight as being a Bach piece, but it is not. Uh, it was original. Uh, the harpsichord piece at the beginning of episode eight is written by Jeff Russo. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, it's a fairly high compliment to think that it's <laughs> Bach. You know, I mean, in my defense, it's a small defense, but. I looked up the songs in episode eight, and it was listed as being uh, what it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but I was caught pretend trying to pretend I knew more than I did because I looked up the Cagliera, but it, I wasn't. I hadn't been familiar with that piece at all. But I kind of talked in episode eight as if I was. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I wasn't because it wasn't that at all. Yep. Um, it was an original piece written by Jeffrey. So I'll be more careful in the future. <laughs> will be indeed. Anyway, any other thoughts to... Uh, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much it. Well, it great, great interview, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, and I'm looking forward to more interviews in the future. Absolutely. If you want to contact us about this interview or about our show in general, you can find us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. You can email us at ClockworksCast at gmail.com. If you like our show, we'd really appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. It helps people find it. And even more, if you'd like to support us, you can support us on patreon.com slash clockworkscast. You can find us on the web at goodstuff.fm slash clockworks. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.